as well as being an adult child. And um, yeah, so I was thinking today that what am I going to talk about? And anyone that knows me knows that I never stop talking. So I mean, it's a crazy thing, but here I am, you know, and looking back over. Um, I first came to IA when I in 28 years ago now, and um, and I had a very volatile um, journey through AA um, with um, several relapses along the way. I just want to start by sharing something that that um, that that, uh, that I always come back to because um, when I was four years old, I heard my parents arguing. My dad was drunk, and my parents were arguing, and my dad said. He always wanted a big family. My mum was selfish because she was always working. And um, and he said, she, even Janice was a mistake. And, you know, I can actually remember taking that on board at that age, you know, age four and thinking I'm a mistake. And that kind of set me on the on the trail of um, having to be more, you know, more for my dad. It'd be all these kids that he wanted. And... Um, and the next thing that I remember really was my dad My dad always telling me, Janice, you will never be able to trust anyone in your life. There's nobody that you can trust, only your family. So that was another significant thing that I carried forward. The other thing um, that really stayed with me was that, well, I was born, my, my parents were greengrocers and I was born in the grocer's shop. And I, when I used to bring, um, once I brought someone home to play from school when I was in the infants, and when she arrived back at her home, she was dirty because we'd been playing on the potato sacks and, you know, all sorts. And um, word went around the school when I was an infant saying that you can't go to Janice Claridge's house because it's filthy. And, and I never brought anyone home again after that. It was the shame I felt around that at that age, you know. Um, and then moving forward a little bit, my, my father um, closed his, his greengrocers one, one Saturday night and on the Monday morning he opened it as a bookmakers and then we then it seemed like everything in our life my life changed because suddenly we've got this big house i've got my own bedroom he had three color tellies i remember when most people still only had a black and white tv with three channels and he had he had the three channels but he used to watch these three color tellies like all at once you know channel one channel two channel three and um and then it felt like we had too much and, and then i felt ashamed to bring anyone home because i didn't want people to see um, what we had so you know we either didn't have enough or we had too much and and I, I remember that when I first came into AA I was thinking I never really felt like I belonged until I found alcohol and alcohol made me feel like I belonged anywhere and you know my drinking story is you know my drinking story is my drinking story you know and I'm not going to go into that too much because um, you know it started as a lot of fun as it does in a lot of cases and it ended up like hell you know, my my um, my story ended where um, I was obsessed. My I'd, I'd met my husband when I was sixteen, and I remember writing in my diary at the time. I've met the man of my dreams. I cannot imagine that this person could have existed. You know, and he's just like my dad. Um, you know, well on reflection, I could look back at that and think, well, you know, there's a there's a red flag, but I didn't. And um, I was madly in love with him, and I and I I would have done anything to be with him, and I did. And I and I eloped with him when I was nineteen to Australia for five years, um, and then my drinking took off again. But what I'm saying is, is along the along that road with my husband or without my husband, my drinking took me to such dark places that, um, in, and there was always this sort of like um, 
inference or question mark about him with other women and, and you know it was very sketchy and um and I because I was thinking today like what really brought me to IA what what it what was it and and what it was was um I, I was on a band I wasn't I wasn't able to drive I was on a uh, DIU uh, sorry DUI driving under the influence and um and one night he was working late and I decided that I was going to check up on him so I ordered a taxi and I made in this, I never forget, I made cocktails and jop, you know, the mashed potato with the scallops and the cheese sauce and, you know, really gone to all this effort to make this this lovely dish for him. And I carried it in the taxi. And by the time I arrived, it was like a load of slosh because I was so drunk. And as a result of that, because because there was a, there was a, I was jealous of one of the girls that worked for us because I knew she was, she, him and her had something going on. and. And I had a vision, I had a vision that week. And I saw myself attacking this girl and, and all I remember was a lot of blood spurting out of her where I'd hit her with a bar, a crowbar. And I knocked her off of a block of flats. And I thought it was so it was so real to me that, that what I was doing, that I decided I had to just stop drinking for the time being. I needed to get myself back in control. If I could just get back in control, everything will be all right. Um, and I'd met somebody at this personal development course I was doing, and he and he said to me, um, "Oh, I saw someone driving your car, Jane." He said, "What's happened?" I said, "Well, I'm I'm on a van, and and I've got this person um, to talk, get my little boy to nursery." And he said, "Do you know?" He said, "That's the best thing about being an alcoholic." He said, "You know, you're never going to lose your brief again." And I thought like this. I looked up to this man. I thought, "Damn it, that is you know." an executive of a company and like you know what's he talking about an alcoholic not driving and um on the monday night following that i rang him up and i said i'm in trouble i need to i need some help i need to i need to stop this i need to stop drinking just for the time being and that was my entry into aa you know and, and my story was he found me a sponsor i started doing the steps and i found this new way of living which was i became quite even evangelical you know, wanting to go in the pubs with my big book and, and start telling people, you don't have to live your life like this way anymore, you know? And they're sitting there having their pint of Guinness of a lunchtime and I'm thinking, the used to chuck me out and say, what are you doing? You can't come here and do this. Um, but that, that set me off. And then, and so my journey into AA was amazing. So I had 10 years continuous sobriety. Um, and after the 10 years, I moved to France. And, um, and, and one night, Every, I stopped going to meetings. I, I was busy, you know, getting my kids into school, preparing a new home. I got really busy with that. And I decided to take, I drank a pint of vodka and a dash of Coke after 10 years. So you can imagine what I was like. Um, but I went to bed. My, my kids were out and my husband wasn't there. And um, I woke up the next day and felt terrible. And I went, I went to an AA, I went to a meeting. But I didn't share it because I was sitting next to someone who shared that he, he had had um, a relapse after 18 years and it was the best thing that ever happened to him. So I'm thinking, well, that must be the best thing for me, you know. And um, so I went about and even the next day I was driving into the supermarket. And as I drove in, I thought the thought occurred that I could do that every now and again and nobody would know. And then I... I, you know, I'd enough AA in me to think I have lost the plot here. I'm, I'm done. If I'm thinking about that next drink and a pint of vodka, you know, 
I wasn't drinking for the pleasure. I was drinking just to block out everything that was going on in my, in my life at, at that time. So I went back into AA. So so all of my relapses were one night. You know, I never went back out there. But I went. So it was telling me really in a way that you know there was something that was going on that was overwhelming me when I just couldn't manage the feelings anymore. And um, and then and then like so as I say, I got into AA and started. It got involved in intergroup, just threw myself in it for five years. Um, the next relapse I was with prescription drugs when I, when I had to have a hip replacement. And um, and I was still, it was the same influence was going on in my in my marriage. You know, there was always these question marks. And so, and when I went to rehab, we, they did a timeline with me because they said, there's something going on here. Like, you know, what you're having these relapses, it's a one night relapse and we need to look at this. <coughs> Excuse me. Got a cold at the minute, um, and and when you know they showed me black and white what was going on. There was something in my relationship with my husband that was causing me to 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 go off the rails. That was that was driving me to back to drink just to shut the head up. Anyway, so moving forward, I um, I went to I went to rehab, and then we'd come back from France by now. And um, things weren't really any different in my relationship. Although we now moved to Spain, um, and I had I had two hip replacements, and during that time of rehabilitation, my mother died, and I didn't drink on any of that. My husband was in Spain. You know, there wasn't. I'd gone back into AA. I was back with sponsoring people, being sponsored, so doing all the right things again in service. Um, except for moving on. When um, when I was in Spain, just when the pandemic started, I I wasn't right in myself, and and I knew something wasn't right with me because nothing was really working. All the all the things that were suggested to me just weren't working anymore. And you know, and what two things happened? One one you know, in the morning I remember sort of my husband would be out in Spain. I'd lay on the table for breakfast. We're sitting on the balcony, the sun shining. It's all ideal, you know. And I'd go into the kitchen and come back, but I'd come back like a, like a lunatic. And I, and I couldn't understand why. And he'd say to me, what's wrong? What's happened? And I'd go, nothing's happened. What are you talking about? And I now can see that these were sort of triggers that were in me that were stored in my body. There was, there was, there was stored anger. There was, there was, there was, um, there was triggers that were happening and flashbacks that I was getting through, a, through a different thing other than the cognitive, but I wasn't thinking about things. Um, which I now understand to be, you know, the, the stored trauma. Um, so moving forward, I, I contacted, I knew I wasn't right, and I, I didn't want to go to AA anymore. I just didn't feel like I couldn't bear to listen to all the war stories. And um, so so what I did was I contacted a friend of mine that was, she, she was a therapist, and she, and I said to her, look, she, did, she was a trauma therapist, and she, she did these workshops. And I said, I think I need to do some trauma work. I can't, I can't imagine that there's anything else that I've not covered. You know, by now I've become a, a counsellor. I was working in mental health. I was a self-esteem mentor. I was doing all, all of you know what I thought was the right things. I was working in a fellowship. I was on doing service, a lot of service. And um, and and what had happened was. Go, going back a bit, I, I used to, I worked in a, a jeweler's shop, a pawnbroker's, and I got, we got held up by three gunmen. And at that point, I thought I was going to die. And um, so I thought that, you know, that was trauma. I understood that was trauma. 
And the next thing that happened when I was living in Spain, somebody broke in in the night and, and gassed me and my dog. And um, and I woke up to that in the morning to realise that someone had been in my bedroom and stolen the safe. And um, I knew that was trauma. Um, and then and the last thing that happened, which was really not not that um, it wasn't that m massive, but I had an accident where I sort of gently tapped into a car, and the, the lady that I tapped into knocked another lady over on the on the zebra crossing with a little dog. And I remember seeing her laying on the floor with this dog. And, that, you know, I, I had a dog that I just loved more than life itself. And um, that really did affect me. So I contacted Hillary and said to her, look, you know, when are you doing one of these workshops? And she said, well, why don't we do it remotely? And and that's what I set about doing. So she started taking me through this program. She said, what do you want to do? I can do ACA or you can do PMLD. And I, and I thought, well, you know what, if you do ACA, there is going to be some sort of support. I didn't know much about ACA, except for that when I first came into AI, I used to go to ACA. But of course, it was a very different, um, it was a very different uh, programming. And also, I needed to get sober at that time. That was my priority. So I started to do the ACA program. And it, it kind of, you know, with, with talking about those traumas, those three major traumas that were in my life, they became significant to me because I could see that, you know, it was it was as if or going back to those three early things that happened to me, like I mentioned, you know, my father saying I was a mistake, telling me I can't trust anybody, um, not ever feeling good enough or feeling like I could, I could fit in. They were all part of the, the laundry list traits that I developed, you know, particularly what really resonated for me at, in the beginning was, you know, trait two. Um, you know, seeking approval and losing myself in losing losing my my own identity, and and really, I thought I don't think I ever had an identity then. You know, because I felt like such a chameleon because I would just try to fit in everywhere. So that opened up my whole new whole world. Honestly, it was it was like as if this was something I'd I'd never imagined, and 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 then I started to understand why I would get these. Um, this reactive behaviour. I didn't understand that the, that the trauma is stored in a different part of the brain to the cognitive. And she said to me in the beginning, you know, she said, Janice, you'll do inventory in that fellowship until the cows come home, but you will not clear this. And um, it was like, I didn't believe her. I, I couldn't believe that. I think it can't be that simple. And, um, you know, but as I've sort of gone through the programme, working the steps and then working the steps again and again but going through it with other people and understanding the difference you know between what tony a adapted in in these in the laundry list um understanding that you know because it was like in the other fellowship it was like resentment is the number one offender you know we cannot have resentment whatever we do we keep away from resentment so you know we go go all out for that but the number one offender in this fellowship is is shame and I didn't even see myself as shaming others or being shamed. And um, so that... Five minutes, Janice. Okay, thank you. Um, acknowledged. Um, just seeing that. So, um, yeah, so, so, so just to finish off now, um, you know, this has been um, the most magical thing that has ever happened in my life. This man that I married, I, I, I was with him for 52 years. And two years ago, he, he chucked me out. He kicked me out with a suitcase. And I had nowhere to live. I, I didn't have a car. And I'm not going to say this as a victim, from a victim standpoint, because 
I now see this as the biggest blessing that ever happened because it's allowed me the space to come away from that man and see that, you know, it wasn't his fault. I'm not blaming him for, for, the, for the way I behaved, but I can also see that there was no way out for me, that I was so, so codependent on him, that, you know, he was my everything. And um, and I was sharing this with someone yesterday, you know, I'm going to Spain in a, in a, in a, in a month now um, to the convention, the AA convention, which I was like a big part of when I lived there. And um, and I'm also, I've also booked up to go to Las Vegas with my daughter and my granddaughter at Christmas. And do you know that in itself is a miracle because I didn't want to go to Sainsbury's without that man. I, wouldn't, I didn't want to leave his side. And, um, you know, so being able to be detached enough to be able to sort of start to find that true self, have some value in myself and think, well, you know what, I'm worth it. You know, I'm not the state. And, you know, I don't have to live out of that old story because, it, you know, the story was presented to me. So I would finish on this, my, my sponsor says to me now. So my therapist became my sponsor. When I left my husband, she rang me and she said, Janice, no more money passes hands here. I'm going to sponsor you because you're now dealing with the trauma of a narcissist. So now we need to get you through the stage. So I'm sponsoring you, which is like a miracle for me. And... Um, but, you know, she says to me, Janice, stay away from the laundry list. So remember the feelings that come up, that the feelings are taking you back. And remember to keep away from the defects of character and stay on the right side of the law. And you're going to be fine. And guess what? She's right. So I just thank God. Um, I thank God for Hillary and I thank God for God because without God in my life today, I would be, um, who knows, probably dead because I, I, would, I would have had to have bunk on the trauma I've experienced in the last two years. And, the, and I've also got to have a moment of gratitude for the friends. Some of them are on this meeting this evening, you know, that have stood by me and, 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 and continue to love me. So thank you for letting me share. I'll end there.